Hebrews Bible Study, Part 30, Two Mountains. For lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service, or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in the 18th verse. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. The author of Hebrews spent the bulk of the twelfth chapter speaking of a hard truth. God disciplines his children for the sake of their sanctification. So believers must take an attitude of endurance. Yet he does not simply speak this as a rote command, as though he were giving a new law. Instead, with our passage for today, he reminds the Hebrew congregation of the reason they must hold on. It might seem redundant, since the entire book has included encouragement for remaining in the Christian faith, but the author does not quite repeat himself here. The latter part of Hebrews 12 explains the difference between the Old Covenant and the New in terms of the voice which God sets for believers, specifically that of law and gospel, illustrated by Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Verses 18 through 21 say, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Using Mount Sinai as an analogical symbol for the law, 
the author reminds the congregation that they are not encountering the law nor living under it. The law spoken by the divine voice terrifies all who hear it spoken from this mountain. Exodus 20 verses 18 through 20. It promises punishment for violations, namely death, as so much as touching that which is holy merits execution on the part of a sinner. The author here refers to Exodus 19 verses 12 through 13 regarding touching the mountain, Mount Sinai. The old phrase, lex semper accusat, the law always accuses, comes to mind. As the children of Israel heard God's voice speak from Sinai, they were confronted with their own sin and imperfection in the most powerful way possible. His holiness was contrasted with their sinfulness, so much so that they cowered in fear and begged Moses to speak instead of the Lord. Note also that the author begins with, You have not come to what may be touched, an indication that the Old Covenant was earthly. While it comes from our Heavenly Father to the children of Israel, making it heavenly in origin, the stipulations, rewards, and consequences of the Mosaic Law primarily have to do with the earth, not heaven. Sacrifices were made regularly, blood for blood, everything centered around the tabernacle and later the temple as residing in a specific earthly place. Devotion to God was commanded, but most of the Pentateuch's laws concern earthly matters, at least insofar as the civic and ceremonial laws are concerned. But in denying that this is another Sinai moment, the author gives a clear distinction between one under the Old Covenant and one under the New Covenant. The New Covenant promises dreadful punishments for those who rebel, to the point of total destruction and being wiped out as a nation, as Deuteronomy 28 infamously outlines. Under the New Covenant, believers are disciplined as family members because they are part of a family. If the topic of discipline were a matter of punishment in the sense of the law, then the Christian message would merit the same response as that of Israel at Sinai, utter despair and terror. God is disciplining them, not punishing them. It is not the threat of eternal damnation or the destruction of nations which informs the painful side of sanctification. Verses 22 through 24 state, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. If life under the Old Covenant is characterized as encountering an earth-oriented law at an earthly Mount Sinai, life under the New Covenant is one of a heavenly, upward-reaching gospel settled upon an otherworldly Jerusalem. 
as the author has already spoken of a heavenly tabernacle in the ninth chapter. It is expected that he should expand on the notion of heavenly locations here. One must note that this is not exactly a new concept. As apocryphal writers mention it, Ezekiel's temple appears to be an illustration of a proposed ideal, Ezekiel 40 through 48, and later St. John will speak more in detail on the descent of heavenly Jerusalem onto earth, Revelation 21. The author of Hebrews contributes that the Christian lives in there now. We should not expect this to be merely metaphorical. The believer is truly united to Christ in his baptism. Where Christ is, there the believer is too, in a sacramental sense. Our position as sojourners on this earth, which we share with the saints of Hebrews 11, is one characterized by being here in body, but with the Lord in our spirit. Indeed, the inverse is true as well. One who subscribes to an old and dying earthly covenant will be old, dying, and earthly himself as a resident of the material world. Even more important is the characterization of the residence of the believer, one of being in the gospel. The Old Covenant is one primarily of law, although it does point to our Savior. The New Covenant is entirely God's grace to the sinner. Therefore, just as angels rejoice over our repentance, Luke 15 verse 10, we live in a place of joy, relief, and in the presence of perfection. We reside spiritually with Christ in his kingdom and under his authority. In context of the chapter, it means that the painful side of sanctification, as well as the guilt we feel when sinning, we might add, is a matter of gospel. God is perfecting us that we may be like the saints who cheer us on. When we sin, we fail to live up to that new reality that we live in. Another matter to note and clarify is that Christ's blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cries out to God mostly as a matter of guilt. Cain is guilty of murdering his brother and his brother's blood stains the land, convicting one man. Christ's blood convicts the world to be certain, but it covers those who are in him and saved by the very blood through faith in the atonement. Verses 25 through 29 finish off the chapter by saying, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, 
and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Christ speaks from both mountains. Established in Hebrews 3, Christ is the builder of the house, so to speak. He is the lawgiver, much more so than Moses. He is the ultimate Passover lamb, bringing us the gospel and free offer of salvation. He resides on both mountains. Yet when Christ spoke to the Israelites at Sinai, they begged to hear from another, and then built the golden calf to worship. At the mountain on earth, Christ's words were not heeded, leading to that generation's death. Thus, the author exhorts the Hebrew congregation, and by extension the whole church, to heed our Lord's warnings. Previous warnings had been from the law, namely punishment for sin. The current warning given is that a believer, abandoning the faith, would be giving up the salvation which Christ has freely offered, being new subjects in God's kingdom. Adding to this, the author directly applies Haggai 2 verses 6 and 7 to the New Jerusalem as an unshaking, permanent kingdom, contrasted to the shaken, destroyed kingdoms of the earth. Quote, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The post-exilic prophet Haggai was speaking of the coming glory of the second temple. But this foreshadowed the permanent kingdom of God, which shall alone remain after God is through with the machinations of the world. At the eschaton, all will be burned, for our God is a consuming fire, leaving only that which is eternal to remain.